0: Right, we're going to go ahead and begin this evening and uh, I will state uh, you don't have to necessarily turn back to the text uh, But we will be kind of reminding ourselves tonight once again of this idea of the need to discern between good and evil And so we have some here tonight who weren't here this morning uh, So maybe we might take the next 30 minutes and kind of recap and go over those things again. Is that Okay Uh, I think you may have tomatoes or rocks under your seat, one of the two, Uh, but uh, no, just kidding. We're not going to be doing that tonight, but I will take just a second or so to remind us of what we have been discussing and to think back to Hebrews 5 and Hebrews 6 because we're seeing our brethren who found themselves in a state of complacency. That they are there in the infant stages, though they ought to be uh, mature Christians at this time. And, And I've questioned so much, how many years have they been Christians? Well, I don't know. But they continue to be in the state of the infant stage, and they need to press on that complacency, press on into maturity by growing in their knowledge. And that brings with it the need to discern between good and evil. Now, this morning we have talked about... In part, the lack of knowledge and some of the dangers that it leads to. And we talked about certain Bible study tools that we tend to have, things that help us to grow in our knowledge. But tonight, we're going to be looking at the application aspect of this and looking at certain scenarios within our lives. Now, I want you to consider what I am convinced is one of the most dangerous statements that we sometimes make. And this is a statement that is sometimes made in the younger stages. And I don't just mean, well, okay, you've been a Christian for a year, two years, three years. Sometimes it's, well, you've been a Christian for 20 years and you haven't gone beyond the basics. And so you're still in the infant stage. And it's a statement, well, but the Bible didn't say we couldn't. And we tend to look for those thou shalt not statements as, well, well, that means I can't do this, and I know that's set in stone. Okay, I am convinced that is one of the most dangerous statements, and yes, even damning statements to our soul that there potentially is. It is a dangerous thing to say. And sometimes we might state this, and then we start to ask this question, well, does that mean that I have permission Does that mean I can do whatever I so desire in this walk? Well, okay, we need to dig deeper into this. Because you're going to find as you go throughout the Bible over the years, it's not always a matter of thou shalt not, as we think back to the old law when it was first instituted. I want you guys to notice here. And if you're taking notes, don't worry yet about writing all this down. You're going to kind of get in a tizzy here because I will go on quickly from this. We will see all of these things at some point in the lesson. So just hold on for that and just keep that in mind. But I can tell you some of these statements, it never said don't do this or it never said you you need to do this. Well, we could say it never stated that Lot can't go to Sodom, did it? I don't read that in the Bible. Thou shall not go to Sodom. In fact, we could look down things maybe in the days of Rachel and Leah and the times where you see a polygamous marriage. Well, that wasn't specifically forbidden, but okay, well, let's move on. Uh, You don't necessarily see, you, you can't gamble, do drugs, can't drink, just don't get drunk. And even these last things, now, when you read these statements right here, you're probably thinking, well, Shane actually does say don't do these things, and you would be right. Your mind's probably rolling, but some would try to state, well, it doesn't say don't hang out with that crowd, right? And so there's no problem with that. Maybe someone thinks it doesn't really say that it's important to spend time with brethren. That's not something of necessity, and so we kind of just press on, and we go about our day. Uh, One more thing. And this is more so not just what we say, it's more so of an action thing. By what we do in this life, we tend to say, well, I believe that, that you need to prepare. Or let me restate that. It never said that you need to prepare uh, prior to our temptations. And so often in life, we tend to live that out, that we don't prepare before the battles. Well, it tends to kind of bite us. It tends to kind of come against us. So hold on to these thoughts. We'll look at them in just a moment. But I want you guys to consider just a few things. And feel free to write these down. Okay? But things we might consider. Sometimes it's a matter of, here's guiding principles in the Bible. So it doesn't necessarily say, thou shalt not. But there's certain principles that talk about the subject. And I see, well, okay, this is not the best thing for me to do spiritually. This is something that's going to harm me or something that will will hurt me in my relationship with God. So maybe that's not the best thing I ought to do. Or sometimes we think of the actions that lead to it. And these actions tend to be condemned in scriptures. And we're going to see that on display tonight. That there's certain actions that end up being condemned in the Bible that lead to what we're about to do. So consider that. Consider the question. Is this wise, okay? And this is going to be kind of relevant because, Lord willing, next Sunday, we're going to be talking in the Proverbs, and you will see heavily the need to discern between good and evil. You will see the idea of wisdom, things that are by way of God's wisdom, not necessarily man's wisdom, and how it prepares us ultimately for the future, not what's just right in front of us, as we often do uh, in our walk with Christ. We're looking beyond, if you would. And this is a question that I would tend to ask, and we really always need to ask. What I'm about to do, is this something that's going to glorify God? And many times, if the is a no, we might kind of backtrack, think, well, should we be doing this? And on the other side of this, will it bring me closer to Him? Now, granted, I understand there's things in this life that are not necessarily wrong. Things that we do. We can spend time watching some TV shows. And uh, I know some of you guys like various shows like Andy Griffith. It's not my favorite show, granted. But it's nothing wrong at times with watching something on TV. Okay? I'm not saying you can't go home and watch the television. But I want you to think overall and the aspect of life, the things that you do, are they going to bring you closer to God? That's what I'm stating. And so let's kind of think about that now. Let's look at this by way of application. The it never said this type statements. Well, it never said, Lot, you can't go to Sodom. And so we could think back in this time, and, and Lot and his family, they see this well watered area, and they're pressing on. Because you remember, right before this was a lot of conflict, wasn't there? conflict between Abraham's herdsmen and and Lot's herdsmen and so all right we're going to go our separate ways Lot you choose where you're going and I will go a different way and so Lot chose that place and I've wondered what kind of conversations might have gone on after that. Maybe Mrs. Lott was saying, well, well honey, that, that's a great place to go. Look, it's, it's well watered. That means there's good vegetation there. It's a good place to provide for our family. Maybe the children thought there's some exciting things there. I don't know what they thought. I don't know. But sometimes we look at this just from a physical aspect and we're not thinking about the other side of things. We're not thinking about the spiritual side of things. So maybe we can ask these kinds of questions. Well, what? Did you consider these things? Did you consider if there are faithful believers there to build each other up? Sometimes we talk about this in relation to those going off to college. They're leaving the nest and they're leaving mom and dad behind. And so they go to a place of college and there's nobody there by way of being a Christian. And I have known people personally, I can think of two in my mind right now, who went away from their parents and they went off to college and they are gone. I mean spiritually, they are gone as far as it gets. They walked away from the Lord in just about every single way. Sometimes we think about this, maybe in relation to going off on vacation, and times come, well, okay, Sunday's part of the vacation. Do we look and see, well, are there brethren meeting there? I know that was hard for some of you during COVID more so, because a lot of people weren't meeting, so where do you go? But do we think with those things in mind? And really, just in general, going to the city do we think about this? Lot, did you consider, could this put my family in more spiritual harm than we can handle? In fact, you know if you read back in Genesis 18 and Genesis 19, you will see that he was tested and tried. And you will see the men of the city, they've come to his house, and they're convinced these, these angels there that are in the form of men, they want to have a sexual relationship with them. We're thinking, that sounds like a lot of America today, doesn't it? The idea of homosexuality. And it's one of the times where a righteous man, you see him compromising his morality because he offers his daughters to the men of the city. Here, you can have them. So you see his faith kind of waning and hanging in the balance in this moment, and he's compromising his morality. And we might even think of this. Well, Lot, did you think about this? Will I seek to influence the city for the better. Okay, I know of one Christian who's out in Las Vegas, and he is a Christian who evangelizes there. There's a lot of people today who look at Las Vegas, though, and they think, well, that's where I want to go. That's all the gambling, the casinos, and everything else that is there. That's what I want to do, right? Okay, as a Christian, think where you're going. Is it a place that you might seek to influence? the people around you. I don't know everything he sought to do. I know he was pressed in and out, so to speak, by the people in the city, and it was really something that's challenging for him. But let's ask a tough question here, Lot. What did it cost you? Because one of the things we see back there, it cost him probably his most prized possession. And I don't want to call her a possession, granted. But it it, it cost him, in essence, his wife. You know, she lost her life It almost cost him his family's life, and then the whole city is destroyed. It's annihilated. In a city where we can't even find ten righteous people, and God says, I'm going to just wipe it off the map. Okay? It never said, don't go there, but let me ask you, was it a wise choice to be made? Okay? Do you see where I'm going with on these things? Now, let's move forward. This one I will spend just a second in. But we could go back to the times of Rachel and Leah, and we could talk about polygamy. Well, it wasn't specifically condemned. Now, we know Jacob was kind of tricked in this, wasn't he? He was kind of tricked when he got Leah. And, and we tend to see what usually happens when we look at a polygamous marriage. Because oftentimes it's a matter of, well, here's contention. Here's strife. Or here's the struggle to please too. Or uh, there's rivalry in this case. There's rivalry between the women. And so from what I tend to see in the Bible, when there's a polygamous marriage, not much good comes out of it, in those senses at least. Granted, we could talk about the faith of him, we could talk about the things that come from him, I'm not going to spend time on that tonight, but we need to see there's a lot of problems that tend to come from this, and I could not imagine Whether if we were to talk about a man towards two women or vice versa, a woman towards two men, I could not imagine that kind of difficulty trying to please two spouses. Okay, so again, it didn't say don't do it, but was it wise? And that's where I would ask. Because we need to look at this on a side of wisdom. Here's one that is very commonly seen today. The idea of gambling. Well, the Bible did not say thou shalt not gamble. I don't see that in the New Testament, do you? But let's think deeper. Again, among the line of wisdom. And we might begin to consider some things. For one, this is a foolish risk. I remember a fellow who used to come to Kroger back when I worked there in 2008. He owned a store in the plaza right around the the corner. And every single day, he spent about $50 dollars lottery tickets every single day and i'm thinking how much did you win okay and i I remember asking i don't know what the total was but granted it wasn't quite what he spent let me just put it that way and sometimes we look at this this is a foolish risk and there's the hope of the reward that you didn't labor for so think about that concept for just a moment just the misuse and mishandling of money within itself but also, when the Bible talks about, well, if a man doesn't work, don't let him eat. How many people just, they try to get a, the reward of the finances in a way that is really not a lawful way of getting it. And I want you to kind of think about these things together. Okay, the uncertainty of getting that reward, but even more, losing a lot and winning a little. Because someone might try it about three times and they're thinking, I, I'm $200 out. All right? But they go the fourth time, and and they win $30. And they're thinking, you know, I lost that much, but now I've gained a little. And that's where we get what we call the dopamine effect. Things are starting to feel a little good. And so now there's that excitement of the risk and the reward. And so they try it again and again. They lose a few more times, but now they won again. And this becomes a little problematic. And I want you to see how. Okay? Okay. I want you to see what this tends to do for certain people. For some, this becomes about the love of money. And we could go back to 1 Timothy 6 and verse 10. He says it's the root of all kinds of evil. He's not saying it's wrong to have money. He's not even saying it's wrong to be rich. Solomon was rich. But oftentimes we see the desire for money, the love of it. That is something that just takes people away from God. And I want you to see that. And we can see it in these texts right here because for some, it becomes a matter of greed. Some translations in Colossians 3 and verse 5 say covetousness. Paul says that amounts to idolatry. Have you ever wondered why that seems to amount to idolatry? Maybe it's because we spend our lives aiming for the thing, whatever it is, whether it's money or something else, but we covet it or we're greedy towards it. And so some people spend their entire lives trying to gain it and thinking, well, I'm going to be content one day, right? And it never seems to happen. They get to that place, they don't find contentment, and they just keep trying to get it more and more. And what it ends up doing is this right here, what Jesus has warned us. It brings rivalry between us and God. So if I try to serve God and money, I'm going to hate one, I will love the other. You can't serve both. It becomes an idol of sorts. Now, what we need to see with this in mind as well is that for some people, not all, but for some people, it becomes destructive to their lives, okay? It becomes to this point where they've wasted all their finances away and now they can't provide for their families. Or how many times do we think about the lottery? Sometimes you will see it's beyond $100 million. It's $300 million or more. And what do we do even as Christians? We start to think, huh, What could I do with that kind of money? And we start to kind of think in our heads of all the things we could buy, all the places we would go, people we would see. Okay, well, kind of be careful on that. That's a dangerous line to cross. But I want you to consider those who have won the lottery. Go do a little research because you will see for some of them, they are worse off. They are more bankrupt now than when they won the lottery. For some, it's a matter of someone else came and they sought to rob from them and steal from them. Or even worse, for some of them, they are dead. They have lost their lives because someone killed them because they wanted what they have. And it's interesting, in this text, it's not a, spirit or a physical thing, it's a spiritual thing. Because he talks about those who have longed for it, how they wandered away from the faith and they pierced themselves with many sorrows. And I'm thinking, what is worse in this life than destroying your soul, especially even over something like the love of money? Do you see why in the Bible, Paul especially has sought to get us to seek contentment, to to be happy or joyous where you are with what you have? It's not always about this stuff. In fact, I can tell you, talk to people who are rich. They are often the most unhappy people. That is something worth thinking about. But let's move on. All right. Someone will say, well, well, the Bible didn't say that I can't do drugs, so let's talk about narcotics for just a moment. And so in this culture, when people want to go to means of, whether it's methamphetamine or, or cocaine or whatever other drug that they want to seek out, well, the Bible didn't say we couldn't, right? I'm actually going to say the Bible actually did say you couldn't. We'll dig into that in just a moment. But let's dig into something else. Now, 1 Corinthians 6... Brings an interesting point. And I need you guys to understand something. I want to always be honest with the context. First Corinthians 6, the context is sexual immorality. Keep that in mind. But the principle about the body is very relevant to just about every aspect of our life. Because Paul is talking about our body. He says it's a temple of the Lord. Okay, And he talks of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us and how we were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. How many aspects of life do we need to keep that in our minds? It's not just in the realm of sexual immorality, that is in the realm of so much more. But I want you to see something related to this. That's where I want to go. Galatians 5, verse 20. Some of your translations, as he talks about the deeds of the flesh, some will say sorcery. Some, on the other hand, say witchcraft. And so we're thinking, okay, well, does that mean I can't cast spells and do things today? What's that about? Okay, well, this word is very interesting because the word is pharmakia. We're talking about certain drugs that would cause you to hallucinate and drugs that were often used in connection either to witchcraft or to idolatry. So does the Bible say I shouldn't be using those things? Well, yes, it does. But what is interesting to me is that Paul is connecting this to things that are deeds of the flesh things that are in opposition of the Spirit. These are at odds or enmity between each other. So as a Christian, my desire ought to be to put my mind upon the things of the Spirit, that I don't have the desire to do the things of the flesh. And this is a realm, whether we see today with alcohol or certain drugs of sorts, there's times where we need to go to God, and so we start to use other things to cope, suppress and so forth, And I know one of the interesting things, when you talk about certain drugs today, okay, they've got this amount, now they've got to get this amount. And it goes up and up as they need the means of getting the next high, or whatever it is. Okay, I'm not going to dig into that so much. But I want you to see this as well. And, And I want you to understand, I'm not here right now to debate, well, can a Christian ever have a drink of alcohol? That's not the point of this point right here. But I do want you to see something, because some today will say, well, okay, it never said you can't drink, but just don't get drunk, right? That's where we're going with this. And this is where I often need to take us to think back to Jesus' day. When I look at the alcohol or the wine of Jesus' day, we have to think, what was the intent? All right, You see a lot of things about it in the Bible. But one interesting thing to me, if we looked at the times they lived in and the water that they drank... It's not always the cleanest of sorts. And so, yes, sometimes you will see the means of, here is the wine within the water. The interesting thing is, they would have three parts water to one part wine. It's it's a diluting type thing. Okay? The wine or the alcohol we often have today is typically a lot stronger than the things that they would have taken back in their time. Now, let's go a little farther in this. Because what I want you to see is some of the things that the Bible tends to say about it. Now, this to me is kind of related when you see kings and they're told to stay away from this or when you see elders of the church and they're told not to be addicted to wine, those kinds of things because yes, it does affect your decision making. When you look at a lot of people and the choices they make when they are drunk, you tend to think, I see it, I understand it as you're on the outside looking in. On the other hand, we can think back to the Proverbs. Again, the, the idea of wisdom and discerning good and evil starts to be on display here. Proverbs 20 and verse 1 says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is deceived by it is not wise. Have you ever looked at that and thought how many times people get into fights or violence? I remember going one time, it was a, a Vanderbilt football game when they played Old Miss. And there were some college guys about 10 or 12 rows behind us And I wondered, okay, what are they doing? I was a little bit younger. I didn't realize what they had. And my brother said, well, they they poured some of their flask into their drink, and they were stirring it with their finger, okay? About two quarters in, these guys were screaming at everything. They were yelling at everything, and they would have probably fought a brick wall in that moment. They were enraged, okay? Sometimes that is exactly what happens. And you see it, I'm convinced, more with men. In fact, we could talk for lengths and depths in the household of all the anger issues and all the violence that comes from men when they make the choices to get drunk and how it destroys the home life. All right, I would encourage you, write this section down. I'm not going to read it tonight, but I will at least point out some of these things because Proverbs is pretty heavy about this idea. So Proverbs 23, verse 19 to 35. He talks of the idea in verse 19 and 20 of the need to not be with heavy drinkers of wine. He'll also talk about those of gluttony, the the gluttonous eaters as well. But he'll warn about both of those things. So kind of keep that in mind today. (laughs) Or keep in mind the aspect where he talks about how it leads to wounds in verse 29 and, and verse 30. And this is interesting to me. Because it's not always, well, I got in a fight with so-and-so, okay? Me and, and whoever else over there got in a, a violent fight. Sometimes it's scenarios that you and I think are a little too close to home. Where you and I have known people who, yes, have lost their lives because someone made the choice to get drunk. And what they did in that moment was a foolish mistake. I've known two people personally who've lost their lives, So we tend to think that's not a wise thing to do. And this is where we have to see this. I want you to think every time that you've read, say, the deeds of the flesh in Galatians 5. Or when you go to 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 and 10. And we could kind of keep quoting, okay, Colossians 3, verse 5 to 9. But every time you see all these things and God is condemning them, the world looks at that and says, you know, that's pretty restrictive. I don't like that. I want my freedom and how many times can we see things like that on display and we're thinking well I don't think it's about stripping freedom away from you and robbing you of that. It seems to be that's for your good because how many times do we rebel against the will of God and we pay the price for some in this life others in the next so be careful. In Proverbs chapter 23 verse 31, he tells them not to look at wine when it's red and sparkling in the cup. In fact, he, he talks about it stinging, so to speak, or biting like a viper, so if you would. In fact, as he goes on, I'll mention these very quickly, but he talks of those who would see strange things and those who become unaware. And that to me takes me back to high school. I did not get involved in this, granted. But how many times Friday rolls around, guys, the the field party's coming up. We need to go to it, right? And everyone's just looking forward to it and they're bragging about all the things they're going to do tonight. And you know what happens when Monday rolls around? They start to talk about everything they don't remember. They start to talk about, well, well, who did that? Do you you remember so-and-so, how they did that with her that night? Or you remember when we had a run from the police that night? And, And they look at this like, this is something to brag about. And I'm thinking, is this how you're trying to entice me? Because it's not working. It will never work. Because all I'm seeing is conflict and problems abounding from the choices that are made in those moments. That is something worth thinking about. One more thing in connection to this. Because some will argue, but but that's Proverbs, that's the Old Testament, right? And then we start to get into the New Testament. And I'm just going to bring up this text. But 1 Peter chapter 4, as he's making the contrast... Here's what you did before you were a Christian, and you need to change now. And so he talks about three forms of drinking, drunkenness, carousing, and drinking parties. Now, drunkenness, that's someone who's just absolutely inebriated. Okay, they're, they're gone, if you would. Uh, when we talk of carousing, that might be someone more so along the lines of what you and I call tipsy. When someone has gone down to that realm of things. But drinking parties has often been interesting. Some of your translations will say banqueting. And you know, the idea there in the Greek, it almost gives the same idea of what you and I had today in social drinking. I know that was a huge problem in Bowling Green, social drinking. But when you look at that and consider how that is today, that's pretty well right along the same lines. And that's where we tend to kind of warn about that, even today as Christians. Be careful. Be careful what you involve yourself in. Those are things of the world, not of the Christians. Now, let's go beyond this. Someone might say, well, it never said, don't hang out with this crowd. And so that, it's fine, right? Okay. And this is where we tend to think the arguments that are made, well, well, it's not going to hurt me because I'm strong enough. And that's where I'm always thinking about Peter. Well, I'll never deny you, Lord. I'll die for you. He thought he was strong enough. And can I ask you a question? Can I ask you, when we have this pride and arrogance in our own strength and not the strength of the Lord, what tends to happen next when we have pride? The fall. And we oftentimes fall flat on our face And we realize, I should never have done that. So let's think for just a moment about the man, Peter. And let's think about the scenario in his life. Because before the trial, Jesus kept coming back to him. Well, why are you sleeping? Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And every time Jesus comes back, what were they doing? We're sleeping. You couldn't even keep watch for an hour. And so we have this time go on where now we get closer to the trials. And I want you to think about two scenarios here. When Jesus is being taken, you have Peter draw the sword, and now he's fighting, and he's ready to kill. I'm convinced he tried to kill Malchus. He's just cut off his ear. We have that scenario, and then we have another just a little farther along where you have Peter questioned by uh, those who are bystanders and a servant girl. Well, I I saw you with Jesus, and Peter made an oath that I do not know the man. I've never been with him. Do you realize the difference between both scenarios there? Because one, whether right or wrong to draw the sword, Peter was with the brethren, and he was with Jesus, He stood with those who stood with Jesus. And you get to the other side of things and you're thinking, nobody loves Jesus around me. Nobody stands for him. They're all against him and they want the menace dead in their eyes. And so now you see him compromising the faith and denying Jesus. And I have wondered, Doug, in light of something you said recently with the rooster crowing, how far would he have gone? I wonder that. If that had not happened, how many times would he have denied Jesus? And where would Peter be this day beyond eternity? I wonder. All right? But let's notice something here. Well, sometimes we need to think of certain principles. The idea that bad company corrupts good morals. Think back to 1 Corinthians 15. And granted, we think about this in some sense connected to their false teachers of their time. But oftentimes the, the people that we tend to hang out with tend to affect the things we say and the things we do. Some of you know this very well when you have a child who has maybe gone to a certain point and you see them, well, okay, they, they've been clean to this point, right? They're not saying certain things. And then out of the blue, your child starts saying some things that that doesn't sound like their character, does it? Well, now he's cussing. Now he's saying things that are anti-God and now he's going down this path, and you're wondering what's happened to him. And then you learn, well, okay, little Johnny's got a new friend now. And that friend is influencing him for something very different. And that is where you need to be careful about the children, about the friends that they have, so to speak. Now, maybe think about this here as well, the things beyond that. Will being here hurt my influence on the world? Again, we are called to be light in the midst of darkness. We're called to be those who stand out from the world to influence them to see God. So is what I'm doing something that will hurt my influence upon them? I could take you to 1 John in that light especially. We also might think, well, being here hurt my influence on the brethren. Because sometimes it's a matter of, well, this person looked up to them. And I'm not saying put your faith in the man. I do not ever want to say that, to put your faith in someone else in that way. But sometimes you'll see a younger Christian look up to someone older and you see them do something not wise as a Christian. And now you're thinking, well, if they did that and they fell from that, what hope is there for me? Okay, be careful. And really, we might consider this, and that kind of tends to fall into this as well. But sometimes it's a means of we are who we like to hang out with, whether we realize it or not. And I want you to consider with this in mind, bad company is not just a person. Sometimes we think, well, that's, that's the school kid who is influencing your children to do things they ought not to do. But sometimes it's the entertainment. If I were to take you, and I would never do this, but if I were to take you and say, guys, let's go watch American Sniper. I know they say one cuss word over 115 times or so, and that's not the only one they say. Well, you're probably thinking, Shane, that's, that's not a good idea. Okay, That would not be wise and not be good for me as a Christian. Because a lot of what we're talking about in this is the concept of a diet, okay? A spiritual diet. So many times I tend to think back to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. When he's talking about the things that we dwell upon or the things that we think upon. And I want you to notice here, I'm going to read this just very quickly. But Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, he says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable... Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Now again, it's not wrong to go and watch a TV show. That's not what I'm saying. I think someone may go away thinking, well, Shane said we can't watch TV or get on Facebook today. That's not what I'm saying. Okay? But we need to think as a general rule overall, does what I dwell on or meditate on fit into a category like this? Because as a Christian, the the entire focus when you became a Christian started to shift over. Where now we set our minds on the things above, not the things here below on the earth. And so I want you to think of something. You ever thought about the dangers of a worldly diet if it just continues on and on? I related very briefly this morning if you were to take a circumstance where for four weeks you spend it all with just a strong spiritual diet. And to see how much you're growing and how good you begin to feel and then you start after the four weeks and the next day you take in some worldly things a little more again. You're gonna feel kind of icky so to speak at first just like when you take in kinda the junk food of life, literally physical junk food. But over time you get more accustomed to it again and you start to see it take over your life. And I fear, especially if I could say something for young people today, especially some of the young people today, they spend I don't know how many hours in school a year. And I'm thinking as many hours as they spend in school with the worldliness around them and the time they're sleeping beyond that, there's not a lot of time at home. There's not a lot of time at home with the parents. And I'm thinking parents... You need to be instilling God's will upon them as much as you so can. If the only time that they hear about God is here, your kids are already gone. I'm just going to say it. Your kids are already gone. That is one of the biggest dangers for your children. Now, let's consider just a few things to remember, and then the lesson is yours. I would ask you in light of certain places you desire to go or or things you may have been looking at, well, should I go there or be there or see these people or or whatever it is? Sometimes not going or maybe sometimes not being involved or even if you have to leave, that's not necessarily a sign of weakness. I need to be careful that I don't look and say, I'm stronger than this. I'm better than this. Okay, Peter thought I'm stronger than this and Peter found. Or we can look at moments like Joseph, who understood in Genesis 39, if I've got to run, I've got to run. So what about the consequences of man? So you see him, I will flee, I will get out, even if it costs me with man. I need to be right with God. We consider questions like this. Will this bring me closer to God, or will this tear me farther away? And that's something that we have to reflect on in a lot of things. Because our desire is to draw near to God. Not to make separation a thing where it's harder for us to want, to desire, to get back to him. We need to be feeding ourselves in such a way where we're drawing closer to him. Ask yourself, can I glorify God in this? What all are you supposed to glorify God in in your life as a Christian? I I think in the ultimate sense, that's what we're here for. When you think back to Ephesians chapter 1, or really through much of the book, the intent for Christians is to be to the praise of his glory. And so that is a life thing. It's not just in the building thing. That is a life thing that we are intended to do. Okay? And this is a question to ask. When I'm about to go somewhere and do something, I need to ask myself the question, How spiritually weak have I been lately? That is kind of the wake-up call. And do you understand sometimes when we ask questions like this, why we need to start surrounding ourselves with other Christians and building each other up? How many times you see in the Hebrew letter the need to encourage each other every single day? You're not always going to be physically in each other's presence, but we need to find a means to encourage each other. So as we reflect on this question, think, well, what I'm about to do Is this going to be helpful in this moment? If the answer is no, then I need to kind of take a step back and think, maybe a different time, I'll venture to this, but right now this is not good for me. So let me opt out for now, okay? Or maybe do I stumble more after being around, uh, maybe being around certain things or, or in these situations? And I can tell you, I can think back to circumstances in my life where I could say, yeah, I stumbled a lot more after those situations probably not the best place to be in that time or in that moment so then we have to take the steps back we have to regroup okay and then final thing I'm going to talk about here again keeping in mind we're kind of leading into the proverbs with some of these things of discernment but might we remember something here I need you to think of a question here where is your home can I ask you that because most are thinking, well, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, or Laverne, or, or one the city you live in, or maybe Las Casas for some of you, and so you're thinking, well, well, that's my home, right? And that's where we have to take a step back and realize as a Christian, you don't actually belong here. You belong somewhere much greater that God has prepared for you. And God desires for you to make the point of this life to consider his pursuits, the heavenly pursuits. We have to be careful. Do not get so caught up in these earthly pursuits that you forget where you're going. I would encourage you, delve into that book much deeper, the Bible, and make it a point about knowing God and how to discern by looking at his wisdom because it's not just about what's right in front of you, it's about the end goal. It's about what's down the road, whether in this life or in eternity. Please keep those things in mind now. There's a lot of other things that we could talk about in relation to this. Lord willing, next Sunday, you're going to see a lot of what we're going to talk about in the Proverbs. It covers just about every aspect of our lives and things that we are challenged with on the daily. And so I hope you'll be ready for that. I would encourage you, please read through a little bit of the Proverbs at a time. But uh, as always tonight, we will extend the invitation to all here if you have any need to respond to his gospel, please do so tonight while we stand and while we sing.